When I started the show, I made a wish list of all the women that have impacted me. Oprah Winfrey for showing me that your background and ethnicity does not predict your outcome. That you can go from a news anchor to owning your own damn network if you please. Sarah Blakely for showing me that knocking door to door selling fax machines doesn't mean you can't take your mediocre life and build yourself into the first self-made female billionaire entrepreneur ever. Jodie Foster for showing me what it means to be a woman in a male-dominated industry that is Hollywood. And today's guest. Now, she may not have the fame that the other women on this list have, but let me tell you, she has had the same amount of impact on my life. Growing up in an extremely religious and restrictive Catholic household, she was told on the daily that she wasn't good enough, that she wouldn't amount to anything. And couple that with a childhood laced with sexual abuse, well, Shawshank seemed like the Ritz Colton in comparison to the prison she found herself shackled to. And like Andy Dufresne, escape seemed like the only option. But instead of ending on the beach, hugging red, soft music and slow fade out, she found herself at just 19 seeking refuge in a wealthy man, 33 years her senior. A very strict traditional Muslim, she was forced to conform to his ways. His overpowering dominance meant no makeup, no skirts, no eye contact. And that's when she realized she had merely shifted her sexual abuse to psychological abuse. With his extreme wealth came extreme power and his grasp on her became just another metal bar on her already imprisoned world. Literally, when the police came knocking at her door one evening, she finally discovered that her husband was a major linchpin in an international criminal organization that laundered money around the world. And now she had become a suspect. Extradited, she fought her now ex-husband and after a long and arduous battle, charges were finally dismissed. And like Andy Dufresne, she may have crawled through a pile of crap, but she finally found her freedom. She may have gone from a penthouse to a council flat, but it was finally hers. And for the first time in her entire life, she was free. With a life full of deceit, she now vowed to live a life of authenticity. So with a passion for property, she went against the grain and started her own property management agency, where their primary focus was on the customer experience, not profits. With recognition from the Times and the Sunday Times, her now multi-million dollar company is one of the finest multi-award winning agencies in the UK. Yes, it's safe to say she is finally dancing to the beat of her own drum. Now, full disclosure guys, I actually have known today's Woman of Impact for over 20 years and her story and mindset has had a profound impact on me and has absolutely helped shape who I am today. So please, help me in welcoming the woman who has pushed challenged and questioned me when I have had limited beliefs. The woman who is actually my stepmom, and the woman who is not only my stepmom, but who is actually married to my mom. One of my best homies on the freaking planet, the incomparable Undeckers. Oh, wow. <laughs> Boom, girl. <laughs> wow. Welcome to the show. I'm going to have to put that on a loop when I go running, <laughs> just to keep listening to it. <laughs> you know I've been dying to God. get you on the show since I first started. Yes, you have. And I said it in my intro, girl, but the impact you've had on me is like next level. Um, and it is your strength and it is the fact that you never play victim, ever. So I, that's kind of where I want to start. Yeah, sure. Take me to, in fact, let's get, start at the moment where you've got the knock on the door, your husband has been taken away. How do you go through that? How do you not play the victim card? Well, first of all, you're in shock anyway. 
So uh, everything is happening there and then. You have no time to think. You just have to be. Forget about worrying about mm. it. It's happening to you. But I had never expected to see the police standing in front of the door and having the question, where is he and what to do? Nobody tells you what to do. Mm. You just have to act on that precise moment. Um, and so very quickly he made it clear to me that you have to disappear. And so to a certain extent now, looking back in hindsight, mm. which obviously I didn't have that benefit then, um, it was very much so that they then couldn't use me to leverage against him, um, also not to interview me, to find out things that I might incidentally know, because obviously I had been living with him. By this time, it was like nearly four years into the marriage. Mm. So, you know, I suddenly went from being in a very luxurious environment um, into a council estate where I didn't know anybody. But how do you emotionally go through that? So um, I think the same thing for me with my health, where one day I was on cloud nine, I felt like I was, you know, kind of living the life and just like that, everything changes. And so for you, I know that it was still, you were struggling in the marriage and all the pressures that you had of yeah. not being able to look people yeah. in the eye. But when you go from that type of yeah. lifestyle to now you're, you're on your own, which yeah. is scary, which you're being told hide, yeah. what were the things you were telling yourself so that you actually kept going and you didn't just like, because like I said, you've never played the victim ever. No. Just not having no choice. Like you come to that point where you, you can't really go any further. You can't go any lower. Mm. Like you have lost everything. So there is nothing more to lose now. Um, and so suddenly it was also as what you were talking about the bars earlier, it was the gilded cage that was opened. Mm. Um, you know, up until then it had been a very close kind of relationship, just me and Fouad. There weren't really any kind of friends around it. It was just the two of us against the world. Now suddenly I was there by myself but the cage door was open and I was in an environment that I had never experienced. I got to meet real people and it didn't matter who I was or where I came from. They opened their doors to me. They opened their hearts to me. Um, they were real friends. They looked after me, even at my darkest days. Mm. And it was the first time that I actually let people in. And anybody that I had known before, I just kind of discounted to a certain extent because there was a history there i didn't know did they want anything from me did they want to get too far through me so it was literally getting to know new people and starting afresh and so realizing that actually you can be whoever you want to be because that person doesn't know your history mm. right so you don't have to come with all the baggage you can leave the baggage behind and there are days of despair. There are days where I just sat in the room by myself, not talking to anybody. Um, you know, there are moments that are in my memory of where I sat there with a bottle drinking mm -hmm. and just thinking, let me just go to sleep now. I just want to forget about it. It's, it's been enough. I've had enough. So at those days, I don't think I was emotionally... Um, articulate enough mm. to be able to explain things to myself even, let alone to other people. Mm. Um, all that I knew was that I was in a, in a circumstance 
and I better make the best of it. That's what, what I was, I was gonna, given. That's what I was going to say. Do you think that actually that served you because you were kind of everything got stripped away immediately? Oh, yeah. So it actually forced you to look into a different yeah. life. That yeah, and also because all the years that I had been with Fouage, we had the wealth, we had the the big homes, we had the beautiful apartments, we travelled the world. It was all done in absolute luxury. I mean, for a kid coming from you know. A working class background I mean talk about opposites mm -hmm. right and I experienced that but I had also experienced that that did not bring happiness mm -hmm. um, I suddenly realized sat around the table with a couple of women in in East London having a cup of tea at three in the afternoon there was real happiness there there was real contentment there because you were just sharing which I had never experienced before so you've got to also think, because when I was growing up, I would go to school and to uni and I had friends, of course I had friends and you make connections, um, but I would still just be on from school. It would be that person that I would show the world. It wouldn't necessarily be my entire me. Mm. Um, whereas when I got to the East End, I had nothing more to lose. Mm. So I might as well be myself. Mm. And if I wanted to be quirky, if I wanted to be outrageous, guess what? I was going to. And it was a revelation to realize that these were people who had nothing, yet they shared everything. Mm. You know, they, they would have just a little, but they were happy to open their doors to me. Yeah. Well, going back to your childhood, so um, people who are listening and watching, this is really the first time that you're speaking out about your childhood. And so take me back to when you were younger and the abuse that you went through sure. and how that really actually led to you trying to escape, quote unquote. Yeah. Um, and then how you always freaking see the positive in like the worst case situations, because it's just freaking mind blowing. Sure. Um, as I've said to you before, there is literally a very small amount of people that actually know the true story. Um, and it's also something that I have never used. I've never like tried to use that to say, oh, poor me, mm. like help me. I need help with this. Or um, it's something that I have always very much pushed back and not really acted upon very much also to a certain extent to a determined for myself because by ignoring it it was still there it mm. was just festering away i have realized in life that there is probably about a period of 20 years out of my adult life so that i have kind of been stuck with it mm. um, in the sense that a lot of decisions i made in my life were based on that abuse from the past um, as you know i don't have kids um, because I felt, well, if I can't take care of that little girl inside of me, am I entitled to put another child into this world? Like, I'm going to be completely 100% responsible for this child. If I can't take care of my own little child, my inner child, mm. that is a question that I really struggled with. Um, so they've always been questions that have influenced the fact that I got married at 19, indeed, was to get away um, from from Belgium, mm. you know, it, I saw it as a way out. I mean, yes, I was obviously infatuated with him. I mean, you know, it's a bit of a kind of pretty woman story mm. where, um, you know, this man suddenly had interest in me and, and kind saving of... Saving you, quote unquote. Saving me, yeah. absolutely. 
later on I realized that I've jumped from the frying pan into the fire, mm -hmm. you know, but at the time I didn't see it. All that I saw was, oh wow, this adult man wants me and is going to take care of me mm -hmm. and is giving me a way out. Um, so as with everything, I jumped. I jumped with two feet, didn't look back. Mm. Um, now, in reality, when I kind of hit, I guess turning 40 was really the turning point for me. I suddenly realized, shit, time is going quite fast. Like, it really made me realize that if I, if I want better things for myself, then I have to start addressing what happened in the past. Mm. Um, now, to a certain extent, the reason I was always stuck with that was the fact that um, I had tried going to um, a psychologist. I had gone through a life coach. Um, I had professional people mm. assist me. And so for me, what was the hardest was that wherever I turned, people were telling me, you need to confront this. You need to confront mm. this confrontation. You know, you, you need to take this further. And I didn't want to because that was my past. I didn't want to keep reliving it over and over and over again. But I had to make the promise to myself that if that was the journey I was going to take on, then I had to reframe that past. Mm. And so what I decided to do was to say, fine, this happened to me. It made me who I am today. Right. And if none of that had happened to me, I probably would be a Belgian divorcee with two and a half children paying a mortgage back home in Antwerp. Mm. And yet now I have this life where I have an amazing family and I have been fortunate in the sense that with the people that I have met in my life, mm. um, you know, I go back to um, the guys in East London, that crowd that I met then and that opened their arms mm. to me. Um, your mum, I mean, if you ask me, so what were you thinking at that time when mm. you met her? I wasn't thinking, mm. I was just being. Mm. And I think that is also very important is that don't overthink, mm. just do. So right now you're doing, you're talking out loud, you're yeah. obviously opening up in ways you've never. Mm -hmm. So let's just go in real time right now because I think people, like it's really freaking powerful that you're doing this in real time. So amazing, like how are you feeling? And if someone's at home right now and they've been wondering, I wanna come out or I wanna say something that is, they feel that they can't sure. tell people, whatever sure. that may be, abuse or other things, sure. um, and they're just scared and they, they want to, but they can't. What have sure. you done over, like, let's even just say last night and this morning that has allowed you to give, give you the courage to speak out sure. right now? Um, to realize that this is my truth. Mm. This is me. And I don't need to be ashamed of it and I don't need to be upset about it in the sense that, like I said before, it has made me who I am today, good and bad. So what I would say is if people out there are struggling, um, you know, do find someone you trust. Do find someone you trust 100% and open up about it. You do need to talk about it. Um, you do need to have at least that one person that you can bear yourself to. Um, how do you go from trying to fit in, right? So like wanting to feel like you belong somewhere and then finally accepting, okay, this is who I am. 
And so now it's not about me fitting in, it's about people fitting in with me. How do you make those first steps? I know you said earlier where it's kind of like you just you were in a different environment so you could yeah. like be who you wanted, but how do you then not accidentally conform to the people that you end up meeting? Um I was I was very lucky that I met a, an extreme mix of different types of people. Um, and I think it went hand in hand in exploring who I was for the first time. Mm. So here I am in my mid-20s or towards my late 20s. And, you know, I've always had to abide either by the rules at home or by the rules of my husband. Mm. I mean, you know, I, there was always someone telling me what to do. Mm. Uh, and then suddenly that is away. That's gone. You no longer have that. And then you go out and you start mingling with people. And um, I somehow got introduced into a transvestite club in East London. And to me, it was such an eye opener. I suddenly got to see that there were people who didn't care what other people thought of them. Mm -hmm. And they would dress up and they would have a fantastic time. And some of them looked absolutely beautiful and amazing. And other ones, you were like, oh my God. But still, everybody was very accepting of one another. And for us as girls, it was fantastic because we didn't get hit on. Mm. Um, there wasn't, they, they just wanted to hang out with us and have a good time. And so that was, I think, the seed that then started it for me to say, listen, if as a man you can dress up and go out and embrace who you are, mm. now I'm here as a girl with all the attributes I need I can do whatever I want to do now. And so it kind of also hardened me up to kind of say, I'm not going to care. Mm. Like, I've always conformed. I've been the good student. I've been the good daughter. Um, I've been the good wife. <laughs> it didn't bring me anything. Now I'm going to be good to me. That is what matters to me. Um, and then obviously because then I kind of got introduced into the gay scene into London. I met some amazing guys who till today are my dearest, dearest friends. And again, they were outrageous. Mm. You know, they, they were finding themselves. They were from all over the world. And together we were living our best life mm. that we could at the time. And we didn't have a lot, but we would share. Mm. Is that when you then started to explore your sexuality as well? Yes. Because yes. meeting you, like, you, you come across extremely confident. And that's why I really wanted to talk about this. Because to go backwards and see, like, that isn't where you started. You were so mm. far from that. Yeah. But you were able, through experiences, through certain things that have happened in your life, to really get to the point where now you can really own who you are. So then in that community that you found um, in building the confidence, let's talk about when we first met. Yes. Because... I'm going to keep repeating what I so find empowering in your story is you encounter things and you find the strength to always push through with so much dignity and grace. It is just so beautiful to see you have every right to piss and moan and throw your hands up and say like, what the fuck? Why does this keep happening to me? And you don't. And so when you came into my life and you'd met mum, and mum finally sat us down and told us, you guys had been dating for what, was it a year or something? Probably a bit um, longer. A bit longer. Yeah. This was a bit of a bone of contention between your mum and me because um, 
what I, I had experienced in my marriage with Fuad, he, he had been married before and he had three children mm. who were very close to my age because of the time, uh, the, the age gap. Mm. And so they literally made my life a living hell whenever they could. Um, and so when obviously I then fell in love with your mom, mm. it was very much a case of like, I'm not going to experience this type of relationship with the children yet again so i need to be open with them from the beginning so they know who we are what we are okay. because i don't ever want it to come back and go oh well you lied to us right. you didn't say it and your mom was like no i know my children i they need to get to know you first they need to love you for who you are and then it will be fine and, and i was like yeah but we're we're cheating them. We're like, we're mm. lying, we're deceiving them. Mm. And so she kept saying, no, 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 you've got to wait. But obviously it was her decision to make. And eventually when she told you guys, the way you, you all, all three of you reacted was just so heartwarming. And it's one of the beautiful memories that I will always have of my life is that I think back of that phone call. I had just finished work and I was out. I'd gone drinking to the pub. <laughs> so just to like calm the nerves? <laughs> to calm the nerves with, with Dawn. And um, the phone rang and it was you girls calling me to welcome me to the family. And I remember putting that phone down and just sobbing, just crying. Just the relief was like, oh, it's indeed what Diana said. Yeah. Well, I actually wanted to go back a bit that you just said, so like from Fouad, you had such a bad relationship, bad experience. How do you not take that into the new relationship? Because I think a lot of us do that when we've dated yeah. someone that isn't right for us. We leave going, I'm never going to do that again. That was on me. I was the one that allowed that to happen. I, I'm not going to let someone treat me like that again. No, no, no. And then you find yourself in another relationship yeah. with that person pretty much saying the same thing. But how do you know in that moment, like, oh, I'm just going to make the same freaking mistake again? Well, obviously it felt completely different anyway, in the sense that whatever she did, I could feel the absolute love and adoration mm. that I was getting from her. So I the knew intention? that the inten her intentions mm. were good. Um, whereas with my marriage, that was a complete different feeling how it felt to me. Um, but yes, indeed, I, I remember coming into the relationship with Diana and, and being very hard on her actually the first few years if she like even said to me oh do you really want to be spending time with this person I'd be like you ain't telling me what to do mm. and so I came at it from a complete strong point of view this time where I was like I'm not going to be that person again that listens to everything my partner wants me to do and I was very open to her about that saying you better deal with this because mm. That is me. And as in any long-term relationship, you grow together. If you're going to stick it out and you're going to stay together, then you're going to have to compromise and you're going to have to find a mutual space where you come together. And that doesn't mean that you then have to give up who you are mm. and that suddenly you have to agree with everything that your partner says mm -hmm. or does. Um, you can still very much have your own opinions, but that doesn't mean that the love isn't there. Right. Yeah. And that was the one thing that I had with your mom mm. was that I always felt love. I always feel loved. Mm. You know? Yeah, I think the intention makes such a big difference. And that is actually one thing now that I do with Tom. So if he says something that's upset me, you know, my knee jerk reaction is to be like, you really upset me. I can't believe you said that. And now I'm really trained myself. It's like, OK, well, what is his intention? 
his intent, like, let's say it was a, critic, a criticism. Okay, his intention is for me to get better. Like, I know his intention because he loves me, and so he wants me to get better. So saying this negative thing is actually in service yeah. of me. But when you look at someone and you think, their intention isn't authentic right yeah. now. Like, there's something else yeah. going on. I think that that, for yeah. me, is like a yeah. kind of line yeah. in the sand. And that was very much with your mom, was like, man, she could have run a million miles because... Um, it was very early on in our relationship um, that the shit literally hit the fan when Fouad was extradited to Belgium mm. and got convicted and I got convicted alongside him. And I remember clearly the day that I received all of the paperwork to say, yeah, you have been convicted to a prison sentence, to a massive big fine. Didn't even know where I would get that kind of money ever from again. Um, and your mum walked through the door and I was absolutely devastated because I couldn't go back to Belgium. That Now I had a prison sentence above my head. And so I had to tell her, like, I couldn't just pretend that this wasn't happening. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. And so I told her mm. and my God, the fact that she stuck around again earned her massive kudos, mm -hmm. right? Like she was just like, okay, fine. This has happened. We're going to have to find solutions for this. Mm. It will, you will be all right. I'm here for you. I'm going to support you. And she did. Yeah, I think of like relationships like a bank, right? Like, are you putting in deposits? Yeah. Because you can't make any withdrawals if you don't have deposits. And um, talk to me now then about starting your company. Um, obviously, we knew each other throughout that, um, through the court case. You finally were um, let let off. So then you come back, and it's. I remember you saying like, "Now I can actually live my life." Yeah, it was like the final shackle was, had come yeah. off. I mean, you've got to think from where it started the first time the arrest to when I eventually got um, exonerated was t was ten years. It was a decade of my life, um, and it was a decade where I couldn't travel. Um, funny enough, I did start my business during that period. So. Um, at the time I, I had met this um, lawyer and I remember saying to him, this was 2004, I, I remember saying, you know, I've, I've been given an opportunity to set up a business, meaning I've met someone and we could be business partners, we could go in business together and start up this estate agency. Um, but what about the court case, you know? Do you think this is wise? What do you think I should do? And, and he turned around to me and he gave me one advice at the time. And he said, do it. He said, better do it now because in 10 years time, you might not have the bottle for it. Hmm. Um, and so I was 32 years, well, I wasn't even 32, I was 31. I still had the court case going and me and Christian decided, yes, we're going to start Setup Base. And again, I think that was important at that time of my life because he showed me that when you had one big goal, where how to get there and what you had to do in order to get there. And I didn't know anything about the law or legalities or how the court process worked. But he damn well made sure that I was part of every file that we put out there and that I investigated the entire file myself. So also in a way that was good because it gave me that closure of being able to say, 
I now know exactly what the story mm. is. It wasn't what Foy told mm -hmm. me. It wasn't what the newspapers were um, portraying. But I know the exact case because I have found everything in the court papers. I know exactly what it is. And then 2004, you know, the business started um, and it was very much just me and Christian, two laptops, an office and three months of money. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. So, also for A, first of all, I want to um, really hammer home the fact that he taught you knowledge is power. Yeah. Right? And I think that sure. that comes back to you never playing the victim or having a victim mentality. Mm -hmm. And then going into base and starting this company, like, first of all, you've never been an entrepreneur before. So, like, for you to have, like, the balls to go and just start your own business um, is incredible. And to do it where you literally had just enough money to survive for three months. Now, if someone came to me today and said, Lisa, I've got enough money to, to survive for three months in the business, should I start it? I'd say, no, are you crazy? I'd say, D put a plan together, right? Like, have enough money for maybe a year. Do a side gig. What money can you make on yeah. the side? But, like... There is something about the naivety yeah. of the beginner oh, where yes. you're just like, screw it, oh, I'm yes. going to put it all in. So talk to yes, me about really. that and how you were able to make that giant leap because obviously it's definitely served you. Yeah. Um, but what encouraged you to make that leap in the first place that people at home listening can really um, like, take to heart? I mean, look, it, I had started being an estate agent. Again, the story why I became an estate agent is quite funny. It was because... Um, when I first got separated from Fouad and I had to get myself a job. Um, and I thought, well, by now, I, by that time, I was quite settled into my life with the boys and, and having quite a bit of a party life. And I thought, oh, I've got a good life, but what more would I want? And I said, oh, I want a car. That's the one thing I missed from my, being married to Fouad was having my own car because it gave me the freedom to go wherever I wanted and to do things. And I thought, well, I can't afford a car, but how can I get a car that is going to be given to me? So I thought I'll become an estate agent because then I'll get a company car. <laughs> <laughs> and then I'll get a company Stop. car and then I can just drive around whenever I'm free. That's amazing. Um, and so I did kind of pay my dues at different companies and very quickly I, I realized that I had a knack for it because I could connect with people. Mm. And so I started that and then got headhunted and did a few job changes within the industry and then ended up working for a really big crook and realizing that, hold on, it has such a bad name in the UK, real estate. And so we realized working for this crook that it's an amazing job to have and it's a fantastic way of making a living. You get to see so many beautiful places, you get to meet tons of people, you get to go outside, you don't have to just have a day like um, desk office mm -hmm. kind of job. Um, and so that's why we decided to start BASE because we said we don't have to have the shiny suits and the golden watch and the flash car. Like we can just have a great time, be completely transparent, upfront with people and still make an amazing living out of it. And do you think that the pressure of having three months um, changed the outcome? Um, it, well, there, there was no um, margin for error. 
also because so much had happened in my 20s mm. um, and I had seen such dark days and such big problems to overcome actually starting a company didn't seem that big a deal interesting um, mm. you know it was like it's going to make me a living I'm going to have a good time nobody's going to tell me what to do little mm. did I know that I end up working much harder and many more hours <laughs> than when I was working for someone else um, but hey we we do exactly what we want to do yeah. so it is well worth that time and effort yeah that brings me to the uh, one thing that I'd be remiss if we didn't talk about is your your work ethic and how disciplined you are and at the same time when you say to yourself I'm not going to be disciplined there's no guilt associated to it like because I was really sitting there going what are the things that I so freaking admire in you and that is something that you show me every single day so you've done triathlons you've done half Ironmans now and when you're training for it you're all in you're like you're all in but also you're, you're still very attentive at work you're still very present mm. there but you're freaking hardcore and you just go after it but then also even in that sometimes like if I come to visit in England you might take a night off and you'd be like no I want to hang out with you and you just take the night off your training and I'll be like but no no no, no like, don't, didn't you? and but you won't have any guilt associated with it mm. so talk to me about being disciplined enough to get to your goal because girl you've got that in spades and then when you've decided to not be disciplined how you let go of it because at least for me I have the whole battle of guilt like oh should I be doing this like should I be but I told myself I wasn't and then I just beat myself up for, sure. for that. Um, maybe the court case was the first original push where when that ended and it was such a release um, realizing that if you worked really hard for something and just stood your ground that you could reach that so I think that was the first mm. time it was also the first time actually that I, I considered about talking about my past mm. very openly oh, okay. because I had that positive um, oh, input from yeah. the court case so I now suddenly felt like I could take on the world you know I could battle it all but then it kind of fizzles out mm -hmm. over a while um, and then towards my um, late 30s, I decided oh, I need to do something. And it was just a, a, a kind of brief meeting with Barbara at the gym. And she said, um, she says, OK, come and see me next week. We're going to do some boot camp in the park. And I nearly died that first boot camp. Um, and she turned around and she said, yeah, within the next year, I'll have you do a triathlon. And I was like, what? A what? Mm. And so she explained it and I said, no, there's no way. And she says, yes, there is a way. And so, um, again, that then showed me that even if the goal was that big, that you thought you're never going to do this, as long as you put in the work consistently, that you can reach it. But as, again, with training as well, you realize that you can't train seven days a week because you're going to burn yourself out. You're going to get injuries. So you need to have rest days. So that then comes back into the thing of when an opportunity presents itself, whereby I can go and hang out with you or I can hang out with friends, I'm not going to feel bad about it. Mm. I'm going to consider that as part of my training and say, hey, mm. I have put enough kudos in the bank for the last two weeks. Mm. This is my night out. I'm going to do whatever I want. And the next day I start again. Now, that is the difficult part, is to make sure that 
one day doesn't turn into two, doesn't turn into three, and that you fall completely off the wagon. How do you make sure you don't then? By setting yourself the goals again. You know, you, you sign up for a race and you tell everybody that you're going to do that race. Okay. Because the moment you've told somebody, you, for me at least, yeah. I've got to see it through. I can't forget about letting myself down. I can't let them down. Interesting. Because is that a value you have then? Like, mm. if I say something, I want to be the person that sees yeah. it through. Yeah, absolutely. And again, that is something that I, that I learned through life, is that you just have to keep going, mm. no matter what. Just keep going. And I set up a list okay. of all the most hardcore races out in the world okay. to see how many I can eventually achieve. That's amazing. Do you have you set a goal on um, how many you're going to do a year? Like, what does that actually look like? Um, so let's say someone at home is sure. doing that. They've done their list of goals. Now what's that sure. next step? Sure. I believe you should do one thing a year that really scares you. Okay. So like a big goal once a year. Because um, in reality, to train for a half Ironman, um, you know, you're looking at six months to 12 months anyway. And that is, again, it depends on what your situation is. Mm. Um, because there was a time where I was starting to do more and more races until one day your mum turned around to me and said, I feel like you're a lodger. Because, oh, okay. you know, between running a business, which is sometimes six days a week, coming home quite late at night, um, and then on the weekend doing the training, because because of endurance racing, you need to get the long distance in, long runs, long, long bike rides, long swims. Mm -hmm. Often that would happen during the weekend. So now I suddenly was taking up her weekend time with me as well mm -hmm. with doing the sports. And she said, I feel like you're a lodger. You're not here anymore. So then you have to make that decision of, okay, what are the things in my life that get priority? Mm. And if that means that you take a few of the races off, so be it. Okay, so let's talk so, about that decision-making. So the decision basically was, um, before the show, we've been away for two and a bit weeks mm. to South America and Central America. Um, and it's our one, well, it's not our one holiday, but it's our main holiday of the year. Mm. Um, and so I said, look, this is the time of me and Diana to to bond and to reconnect over the year. Mm. You know, we always enjoy our holidays together. I'm now not gonna be that person who sits there and goes, oh no, I can only have chicken and broccoli. Um, because that is my time with Diana and I don't want that to impact her. And I'm exploring new countries, I'm exploring new cultures. I wanna try the food that is there. It's definitely not, um, you know, six pack <laughs> food no, I'm um, but I'm you know I'm going to have a drink I'm going to have a good time mm. we were meeting up with friends as well so um, but when I get back to the UK I will start the three weeks that I have missed yeah and I will see it through that's cool <sighs> so last question last question what is your superpower um, we, we, well, I knew this was the one question I definitely <laughs> was going to get. So I was like, damn, superpower, superpower. What superpower am I going to have? And we have touched on it very often throughout the interview. I think my superpower is endurance. To be able to go through a situation, whether it's good or really bad, but to just keep going, keep going, keep going. I, I think that. that has got me through everything really 
That's amazing. So where can people find you? Where can they find BASE? Um, so yeah, we, um, we have a Facebook group for BASE property specialists. Um, I myself am Anne Deckers on Facebook. That's us. Amazing. Oh, guys, this has absolutely officially been like the most meaningful episode that I've ever shot. This woman is no freaking joke, like my best friend. I am so blessed to have her in my life because her mindset and her belief system is so empowering for me that I just can't get enough of it. So I really hope that you guys like this episode. And if you're not following me, follow me at Lisa Billion. If you're not subscribed, click that little subscribe button. And until next time, guys, go be the hero of your own life.